temper tantrum draw you closer to God? How does it? When you throw your mental temper tantrum, Lord, I don't want to do that. How does that draw you closer to God? Is that your main concern? That should be our main concern. When you open your eyes and they pop open, Lord, how can I be drawn closer to you today? We all want to be like Romans 5.8 says. It says, but you, O God, demonstrate your own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are we willing to die? when things get tough? Do you try to change things by brute force? Or do you seek God and trust Him to intervene? As the nation of Israel wrestled with what was going to happen after Samuel died, they took matters into their own hands. Trusting God when we feel we could fix matters ourselves takes a willingness to die to our own wants and desires. Our reactions to challenges and challenging people send a clear message to the world around us about how much we trust God. In today's message, Pastor Mark will exhort us to trust and look to God in our challenges, and not to look to ourselves. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 with today's edition of Come Alive. There are those rules that they have to set up. There are those times when I just have to say no to certain things. And so that's very important. There are those times when we say yes to a lot of things in one week, and then the next week we'll say no to a lot of things. Today I had to say no to something. I didn't want to. But I had to think, man, you know, I was gone all day yesterday. We had an event here on Friday. I was gone till about 9 or 10 on Friday night. I really didn't get to hang out with my family, except on Thursday and a little bit on Friday. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're balancing there. But I need to make sure because I, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I had to say no to something today. And so, again, these people, you know, and, and the pastors... They don't want those kids saying you spend more time at church than you do at home. Once your kid knows you want to be around them, they know it. They know you're, you want to be around them. And you build this great foundation with Jesus uh, being the foundation. And then you can begin to put these pillars in place. You can start, once you lay that foundation, you can start to put the walls up, the pillars up, to hold up the ceiling and stuff. So rules and regulations with relationship for your children, for my children, work. And these are just basic, because we can see this guy. He's a great man of God, yet his kids are not. And we see it for a second time. And it's easy to say, well, all he knew was Eli, because he grew up with Eli. And Eli's kids, we know, these guys aren't as bad, we might think. We might put a degree on it, because you know what? They're not stealing meat, and they're not sleeping with prostitutes at the temple. They're only taking bribes. And perverted justice. They're only like, hey, pay me a certain amount of money. You know what? I won't have you stoned to death for doing what you did. Not as bad as the other two. Hophni and Phineas. But nonetheless, in the sight of the Lord, they're not good. In the sight of the people, uh, they're not good either. 
And so rules and regulations with relationship work. Set rules. If you don't want your kid jumping on the couch, basically don't ever allow it. But if you allow him today and then tomorrow you come home and you're tired and he's doing that and you're like, get off the couch. And he's like, well, you let me do it yesterday and you were jumping with me. Don't do that. Set those rules and regulations. Get on to him for doing it. And then he's not going to understand when he jumps and you're like, he's like, well, you did it with me yesterday. Now there's a fine balance of there's a time to play and a time not to play. There's first time obedience. And so, you know, we tend to confuse our own kids. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. The relationship works this way. You expect your kids to obey and honor, but they expect you to tell them what, what it is you're looking for. They need to know what it is you're looking for. If they don't know that and you don't set that out very clearly, they have no clue. Sometimes I do that with my son. I forget that he has no idea. Like even yesterday, I asked him to go get something. I said, go grab me a towel. Well, I meant the towel in his bathroom, but he goes all the way to my bathroom because that's my stuff. He put two and two together and he did get four. And he comes back and I go, no, not that towel. The towel right there. And he goes, well, I got this one. That'll dry it up. And I'm like... No, get one of your towels. That's your mess. And he's just like, ah, and he got frustrated. So I had to stop and I was like, ah, I didn't define the terms. I didn't let him know that was my fault because I was about to get onto him for being disrespectful and the, ah, you drive me crazy, dad. And I was like, yeah, I do. I can see. And so rules are important. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And so rules... And regulation with relationship works. And so they need those things. Rules allow fun. What? What? Yeah. Rules allow fun. Think about it. If football didn't have rules, how fun would it be to play that? Everybody did whatever they want. So rules allow fun. And so there are those times in life when the rules and the regulations need to be obeyed because it can be a life or death or serious situation. The rules of, and and I heard a story about a man who played, come here to me, come here to me, and the kid would run, and the dad would allow that to happen. Well, one day he was doing that, and the little boy ran out into the street and got hit by a car and killed. Not such a fun game when we're allowing that game to be a, a rebellious type of a game. That kid was too young to kind of put those things together. So we got to be careful. Those rules are important. Look at verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the nations, like the, all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. What displeased Samuel? I mean, what's the big deal? His kids weren't doing it. It seems like a very fair request. But yet, part of their logic is your kids aren't doing what they should be doing. They're using their behavior. They're using Samuel's kids' behavior. They're using the behavior of uh, a child of God to say, well, this is why we don't want them. This is why we're not going to hang out at the temple. This is why your sons are, are our reason not to behave. Anybody ever been there? Well, man, I don't like that, man. I'm not going, uh-uh. That, that guy does it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do worse. It's okay for him. So they, that's what they're doing. His sons are, are the reason for the elders and for the people not to behave. It's the same rationale I, I hear a lot today. 
The reason I don't go to church is because the guy burned me once. There's a guy in your church that burned me once. He ripped me off. Not here. It's just kind of an example. And then you're like, wow, really? That, that guy's going to define your whole relationship with the Lord and your, your worship experience because he burned you? Because he's, he's, he's a person? He makes mistakes? Yeah, you ever made a mistake? Oh, well, not like that. Well, no, I'm not asking what, the, how big your mistakes are. I just asked if you made one. Well, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm the topic of discussion. We were talking about him. No, you were talking about him. I'm talking about you. Have you ever made a mistake? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, cool. So you got burned. Or I'm not into organized religion because all they want is money. Or this Christian ripped me off or didn't keep his promise. And you hear this a lot. And when I hear that, I say, you're right. And I'm sorry. I get to do a wedding in a couple of weeks, and one of the first things I'm going to say in that wedding is, I know you guys, because they asked me, they said, hey, will you do a little teaching? I said, sure, I'll do a little teaching. And they said, and I said, cool, what do you want me? And they gave me some verses. I said, all right, cool. But one of the first things I got to say is like, look, I know some of you are here. You probably don't go to church because you've been ripped off. You've been burned by some Christian. You had some bad experience at church. Somebody probably asked for too much money. They probably passed the plate one too many times. Something you didn't like or agree with you. And I got to say, I'm sorry. I represent Christians. And I want to just say, I'm sorry that you were burned and, you, and that has happened to you. But we're not called to follow Jesus' disciples. We are called to follow Jesus. If you don't know that, come see me afterwards, and we'll have a talk, and I'll show you. Because it's not a bad thing if you don't know that, but we, we tend to follow people. I mean, after all, mom and dad say, follow me. And a husband, a godly man says to a woman, follow me as I follow the Lord. And that's all good, but each individual person needs their own relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Samuel's bummed out because he's been a great spiritual guy, but his sons are not. And even though they should, shouldn't should want for a king, they do. They want for a king. The Bible tells them, their scriptures tell them, you shouldn't want a king. So because of a few bad examples of how not to behave, it turned off a multitude and caused them to forget that Israel's strength was not in man, but it was in God. They forgot they were called to be unlike the other nations, the other people from Time to time in your life, we'll look for reasons not to believe based off of the way you behave. You know that? Remember the story I told about Mike and Christina and Christina working in a store? And that one person blew it for another person. Well, I don't want to go to your church. I don't even want your Jesus because of the way that person acts right there. See, the question is, you know, for us, if we can find a bad example of behavior, if we can find a bad apple in a group, does that become our banner? Is that our banner that we start waving around? Hey, you know what? That's why I, I do what I do is because that guy. Really? You let that guy define who you are and how you behave? That's, that's very childish. So the question is, who are you letting lead in your life? You know your kids are watching? Your kids are watching you. Who's leading in your life? Do they see you running every time there's a problem to get a loan to pay something? Do they see you stockpiling money? Oh, man, I need all this. I need all this. Or do they see you going to the Lord, going, Lord, what do you want me to do with all this? Who could we help? Who are you letting lead in your life? 
Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe somebody in your workplace is watching you. Or if you don't have a job, then maybe your neighbor's watching you. Or if you don't have neighbors, I don't know who you are or where you would live. But Samuel knows this thing, that they ask, what they ask for is foolish. That's all he knows. He's like, this is foolish. And so look how he positions himself. Look where he positions himself. It's in prayer. But this thing displeased Samuel, verse 6. And when they said that, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Here's this man that's a godly man that's on his way out. And yet he positions himself in prayer. Do we do that? See, he cannot convince. He can't convict. He can't even counsel. He can pray. Isn't that the same for us? You and I can't convince, convict, or counsel anyone until we've really prayed. Those who don't believe, we can't convict them. We can't be like, oh, man, you're horrible. Oh, how am I horrible? I do pretty good. I never killed anyone. I never broke the Ten Commandments. Jesus met a person like that. And so we can't do that. But we can pray for them. And then every now and then, we can tell them what God's doing in our own life. This is what the Lord's done for me in my life. I met with a friend of mine this week who decided he wasn't going to walk with the Lord anymore. He changed his name back to what it was before he was saved. He changed his name when he got saved. And he met with us and we had lunch with him. And he said, man, I'm just not walking with the Lord anymore. I don't believe it. There's too many contradictions in the Bible. And so I just went on and told him the stories about the miraculous things that God does in my own life. And it was amazing for me. He was like, you really believe that? That these things just magically appeared? And I said, yeah, I really believe that because they did. I saw it and I got a witness to prove it. Who's an atheist? He was like, hmm, interesting. That was it. When he left, I hugged him and said, hey, I love you. I hope to see you again. May the Lord bless you. I can't convict him of anything. I can just tell him and, and tell him what God's doing in my own life. You'll be amazed at what you'll hear and how open people are. But you have to pray. Even Thursday, we went on a bike ride. And my wife wound up meeting somebody in the park, a lady in the park. And this lady opened up and told her everything. And she got to pray with this lady. I look over and the lady's crying. My wife's praying. My daughter comes up and is like, I think mom did something wrong to that lady. She's crying. I'm like, it's okay. As long as mommy wins the fight, it doesn't matter. She's like, okay. But it's the good fight we're trying to win, not a fist fight. And our kids need to see that. Do your kids see that? It's, it's scary. I can tell you. Just hanging out the park, pushing a kid on a swing. Lord, you want me to witness this person over here? Help me out. You know, and the other lady's pushing. They're pushing and pushing. And then I hear a conversation. And I'm like, okay, Asa, me and you are going to go ride bikes. And we come back. And there's a prayer meeting taking place. I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. That's awesome. You'll be amazed. You just got to pray. Maybe you don't like the people in power at work or in government office. But, you know, you got a few choices. You can rebel. You can throw a fit. You can try to overthrow them. You can tell them how to do a better job. How many of you are a boss have ever had anyone tell you that? Oh, let me tell you how you can do a better job. And you're just like, really? You don't even know what I deal with. The better job, which is coming down from my boss, is they're telling me to get rid of you. That would be the, no. They don't want to hear that. Or you could just pray. Pray for them. Love them. 
Pray that they have that joy, that peace, that patience, that goodness, that kindness, that faithfulness, that self-control. How does your mental temper tantrum draw you closer to God? How does it? When you throw your mental temper tantrum, Lord, I don't want to do that. How does that draw you closer to God? Is that your main concern? That should be our main concern. When you open your eyes and they pop open, Lord, how can I be drawn closer to you today? We all want to be like Romans 5.8 says. It says, but you, O God, demonstrate your own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are we willing to die for our friends? Die to ourselves? Die to that pride that's saying, oh, no, don't tell them about Jesus. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think something strange. See, we won't die to ourselves for that jerk in power, but yet, oh, Lord, thank you for dying for me when I was a jerk. Oh, maybe the Lord's trying to show you a mirror image of the jerk you used to be and how that guy really needs or that girl really needs Jesus. Pray for that person. All of society's ills need to be taken before the Lord. Second Chronicles 7.14, turn there. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, I want to recommend that you highlight it in your Bible. Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people, who are his people in this room? It should, all our hands should go up. That would be us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Is our land sick today? Is the United States of America got a problem? Yeah, we all agree. It's got huge problems. Look at verse 17. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and did according to all I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David. Your father saying, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. Now all this is very important to what we're talking about in, in 1 Samuel. See, we can't do it on our own is what this says in, in, in verse 14. Of Second Chronicles. We cannot do it on our own unless there's a power greater than your flesh abiding in you. Either, believe it or not, this might be news to some of us, but there's someone greater than you. I said it. Now deal with it. There, there's someone greater than you and me. Well, we can't do it on our own. And so Jesus comes into your life. You now have power not to act upon your evil, wicked desires. It doesn't say that you're not going to have them. You just have the power not to act on them. It's like, it'd be like me going over there and painting the toilet with flames and making it look really cool. Guess what it still is? Still a toilet. Still a toilet. What goes in it doesn't change. Unless we remove it. Take it out. Put something good inside of it. And then that paint job might work great. But unless it's removed from its old place and something good goes inside, it's still a toilet. Trash can would be the same thing to dumpster, still a dumpster. If you've ever taken out garbage here, you know what that thing smells like. God's like, you got a problem in the land, the place you're planted, do this, do these things that I ask you to do here in Second Chronicles 7.14. Humble yourself. Pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. And then what's it say? 
I will hear from heaven. The opposite of that would be if you didn't do it, turn back to 1 Samuel. If you didn't do it, we'll see what happens later on. Because the opposite of that would be God won't hear. See, the land we live in doesn't acknowledge the power of prayer and the power of God. And there is wickedness in the land. And it looks like our land is on a life support system. Well, when I look around and I read the news, I'm like, man, this thing is on a breathing machine. And it, it can't even be taken off for a moment. We know what needs to happen. And so, again, this third Friday thing, come and, and let that prayer. I mean, you can pray in your own homes, but man, come corporately and come and pray with us. And pray for your church and your community and your nation and your leaders. And if we call upon the Lord with a submissive spirit and we repent, he promises to heal the land. That's our call. That's what we're called to accomplish. And if we don't do that, then we bring ourselves back right here to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I have brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So this should be your banner verse. And in, in verse 7, to all of you faithful people who talk to people about Jesus Christ and they reject what you're saying, this should be your banner verse. Heed the voice of the people and all that they say. You, they have not rejected you. They rejected God. That's our banner verse. That should be the one that we're like, all right, cool. They didn't reject me. They just, they're rejecting my God. They're rejecting Jesus. And so don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. The rewards for sowing and reaping, do you know what those are? Those are the same. They're the same because it's not your responsibility to reap. You and I are to sow. It isn't the work of you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to do the reaping. And so whenever there is a spiritual decay in the lives of God's people, the people, the church, begins to lose faith. And we start trying to do things the way the world does things. And so here, that's what we see in 1 Samuel. They want a leader like the rest of the world. And the Jewish leaders here had no faith that God could defeat their enemies and protect his people. So they lean on the flesh and they start looking for ways to do things like the world around them. Let me ask you, is that you? Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. 
Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katy at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.